Today, we're sharing a very insightful conversation with world-renowned author, speaker, and relationship expert, Dr. John Gray. We talk about his new book, Beyond Mars and Venus, which delves into the science of male and female hormones and how biologically we relate differently and how stress affects us in different ways. John gives practical tools for communicating more effectively. We talk about loving again after loss and heartbreak. John is always a pleasure to talk to, and I hope you enjoy too. Welcome to the Let's Talk Love podcast, where we flip the script on outdated narratives and cliches about love and relationships. I'm your host, Robin Ducharme, founder of Real Love Ready. This podcast is for anyone who wants to be better at love, regardless of relationship status. We'll talk about the intimate connections in our lives and the challenges and complexities inherent in those partnerships. Through our no-holds-barred interviews with global experts, we'll gain insight about ourselves and learn new skills to improve our relationships. Because when we learn to love better, we make the world a better place. Are you ready for open and honest conversations about love? Let's get started. Hello, everyone, and welcome to this very special episode of Let's Talk Love. I am so excited to welcome our guest today, John Gray. And I, when, <laughs> I know that um, your, your name is synonymous in people's household with your very, very famous book that I grew up hearing um, my mom and then my stepmom talking about. And this is such an incredible honor, John, to have you. <laughs> thank you That's for really joining. Fun. Thank you for joining us. <laughs> so <laughs> I for, the, so for those that um, don't know you, which I don't think there is anybody listening that doesn't, um, I will introduce you. You are the author of one of the most well-known trusted relationship books of all time, selling over 15 million copies and read by over 100 million people worldwide. I love that. That's a great number. <laughs> men are from Mars, women are from Venus. You've helped men and women better understand and respect their differences in both personal and professional relationships. And you really have pioneered this approach that combines specific communication techniques with healthy nutritional choices that create the brain and body chemistry for lasting health, happiness, and romance. So today we're going to dive into all the science behind it too, which I've, that, that's your newest book. I learned so much about our hormones and how they play such an integral part of the stress we have in our lives <laughs> and up and down and also how we relate. So this was, this was really, this was really good work, John. <laughs> thank you for, thank oh. you for being with us. Oh, I'm happy to be with you. And I'm really happy to be talking with you because you read the book. Not everybody's read. Most people have read men are from Mars, women are from Venus. It gets, it's been around for quite a while, but beyond Mars and Venus is the book you're referring to yes. about all the science and the hormones. It's just so helpful. Well, but the first question I did want to ask you is, is more of a personal question. And well, I mean, this is all quite personal because I know you're very open in your book about sharing your, your stories about Bonnie, your wife, and, and you openly talk about just your life in general, which I think is beautiful. So what in your life right now is giving you the greatest joy? And what is one of your challenges that you're facing right now? Okay, what well, challenge is my wife died four years ago of cancer. Uh, and that was 
uh, it took a year to watch her die, taking care of her. And it was a deep, deep love affair, but it was then tra- traumatic when she passed. Yeah. Uh, I've been about two years healing and I became a better person. You know, I think that when people go through the grieving process in, in a deep, deep love affair of 34 years, we met 40 years ago, uh, it was uh, heart wrenching, a broken heart, wanting to die, but going through all of that, coming through it having helped me come through as I went back automatically, you know, you have the demons come out at night when you're sleeping. Like if only I'd said this, if only I'd done that, uh, you kind of feel like if I'd been a better husband, even though she said I was a plus, uh, maybe she wouldn't have died. It's just an irrational thought, but it, it comes up in the night. Yeah. Used to. And so I would reflect on every problem, every challenge we ever had and see how I could have been a better husband and committed myself to be that. So now what's really wonderful in my life is I feel really great. I feel more loving than I've ever been in my life. And my life has always been about love. And I have a new girlfriend. And the challenge with that is she's, uh, I've been teaching in China for 10 years. So she's one of the, she also teaches relationships in China, wow. quite famous there. And we, we, she's my girlfriend now. And, uh, but she, she, she lives in China and comes here and goes there. Wow. So that's fun. Yeah. Uh, but, but it's also it's, a it's challenge. Wonderful. Long distance relationships are not easy. Yeah, they're not easy. And yet I think they free us to make sure that we don't get too dependent on our partners for everything. And that's kind of a challenge for everybody. Uh, you know, one of my basic pr- messages is that we, when you have this deep love, you can get so dependent on your partner, feel great, uh, that we neglect all the other aspects of our life. Mm. And the next thing in response to your question was yesterday, I got a new dog. Oh, so I'm taking care of a baby dog. <laughs> That's wonderful. I, we yeah. have a dog too. And this he just gives so much energy to our house and so much love. It's just the best. Yeah. 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 <laughs> well, that's wonderful. So you wrote Men Are From Venus, Women Are From Mars in 1992. No, that's Men Are From Mars. Women oh, I'm are from sorry. Venus. Men Are From Mars, Women Are From Venus. I got the, I got the planets <laughs> mixed up. <laughs> yeah, you got all the words in there. <laughs> 1992. And yep. the most recent, the, the, the updated version is beyond Mars and Venus. And you say the world has changed drastically in the past 25 years with significant implications for our relationships. So I have two questions around this. What was the main motivation for you writing the update beyond Mars and Venus? And also, what are some ways things have changed in the last 25 years for men and women in relationships? I mean, a lot, but I'd love for you to just review that with us. Well, the, the, the basic, pra- the, the new book is new skills. The, yes. The insights about how men and women are different. We've been that different forever. Yeah. <laughs> and yet those differences are not commonly shown up in our relationships when something which I call role reversal takes place. Role reversal is where uh, women relate more to being from Mars and they say their husbands uh, relate to being from Venus. So literally a flip. And now, I saw this even when I wrote Men Are From Mars 25 years ago in long-term relationships where the passion went away. Usually, in order to find compromise and peace in a relationship, couples who didn't have these relationship skills of how to communicate effectively, they get in arguments, and the, the arguments become like minefields that you just sort of avoid, 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 and acquiesce and accept. And usually then the passion goes away in relationships. And when that happens, what's also going on is men are taking on more of the Venus qualities. Women are taking on more of the male qualities, the Martian qualities. We'll put it that way. 
So, but now that's a very common reality. In that case, it was the result of long-term marriages where the passion had gone away. Now it's very common because of a shift which has taken place. And it began, it really began around after World War II where the world became safer. Uh, we were more secure. Women could be more independent. Men could follow their dreams. And, you know, I'm a child of the 60s after Woodstock. I remember crashing and listening to music from Blind Faith, which was uh, do what you like, do what you like. And that was never the rule for men. And I grew up, grew up in Texas. And, and so we were demonstrating for peace and having free love and having fun. And we were sort of leaving the responsible side of us, which I'll call the male side. We all have a male side. We all have a female side. And when people say that, then why are you pointing it out? Well, what happens is that the male side of us is primarily when we're doing activities that are more impersonal, goal-oriented, which have to do with sacrifice, overcoming challenges, making money. Most of those behaviors stimulate the hormone testosterone. Now, a man needs to make at least 10 times more testosterone and to feel romantic feelings towards his partner, about 20 times more testosterone than a woman. So basically, when we see that when men are stressed, they're either depressed or they're angry or they're irritable or they're passive or they're procrastinating, any of those symptoms I just mentioned always go along with low testosterone in men. They don't go along with low testosterone in women. For women, their symptoms of feeling overwhelmed and stressed, dissatisfied, mind filled with uh, complaints, you know, your mind, I got to do this, I still have to do that, that feeling of not enough time, not enough support, not enough money, not enough this, 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 that feeling of not enough tends to be directly related to cortisol being produced in her body, stress hormones. And it's simultaneously, in general terms, her estrogen levels are low. For a woman to feel romantic, just to be generally a woman who's happy, her estrogen levels will be about 10 times higher than a man's. And to feel romantic in an intimate relationship, uh, the estrogen needs to go double that to 20 times higher than the average man. So these are amazing things to help us in this world of gender neutrality to get a little clarity that, yes, while my soul is both masculine and feminine, while I can go to my female side, I can go to my male side. If I go to my female side, which is loving and happy and having fun and enjoying, those are some of the qualities of estrogen. When I'm over there, if I forsake my male side, then I have trouble. Anytime a man has any addictive problem, he's too far on his female side. Whenever, whenever a woman is overwhelmed and stressed, feeling too much to do, can't relax, can't enjoy sex, can't feel making love, she's too far on her male side. She's making more testosterone during the day than the estrogen side. And this all comes from really some basic understanding we now have of hormonal differences between men and women. Mm -hmm. That made me think of um, two things. Number one, for instance, would be like a woman who has just had a baby, right? And she's taking care of her child for, you know, all day, every day, breastfeeding. And it's just like, all of this, is this not estrogen, estrogen, estrogen? Well, it's estrogen and not enough. It's also testosterone. Okay. When a woman, when, when you have a baby, you're, you're responsible for someone, mm -hmm. you know, a mother is not just making estrogen all the time. She's the CEO of the house. Yes. Okay. <laughs> yes, good so point. She's, she, but it's a different kind of testosterone she's producing. It's, she's producing testosterone, but Whenever you're doing things for others, you're solving mm -hmm. problems, solving problems, that's testosterone production. But when you're a mother, 
you're solving problems, taking care of others, making sacrifices, which normally is is testosterone producing and very good for men to do. Also good for women to do as long as they're not neglecting their female side. But in the nurturing activity, you're doing both masculine and feminine because you're giving from unconditional love. You're not raising your child to make money. You're not raising your child Mm. because that's something you have to do to make enough money in life to support your family. No, you're doing it out of unconditional love. And that's a very balanced hormone of both, both your feminine and your masculine side. But what's missing today for the woman that does stay at home is something that women need, which is to feel the support of others. Being alone with your kids all day has never been done in history. You always had a community. You had a tribe. You had other mothers around. Your children were playing with other children. You weren't just one child at home you're taking care of and trying to entertain. That's For most women, that's a nightmare, which is why they love having a job. <laughs> love, yeah. Let me get away because they're not designed to do that either. When I'm down in the Amazon, I saw all the mothers helping each other. They're all there. They're breastfeeding their kids and they're making meals and they're cleaning up and doing all these domestic type jobs, which is really too limiting for most women today. They want to express more of their soul. I see this all on the positive side as as an evolution of rising above uh, the more primitive levels of us based on roles. It used to be men had the role of providing, women had the role of nurturing and taking care of the home. And that became too restrictive for the consciousness of the new world we're living in. There has been a shift in the consciousness where I, as a man, want to enjoy my life more and I want to be there for peace and I want love. Love's one of the most important things for me, except money. Okay, I have to make money so I can support a partner who can feel more at ease and comfortable like she doesn't have to feel the pressures of doing everything herself. And so that's also why my relationship's so wonderful. You know, my partner doesn't have to work as hard. She just does what she likes to work, but she does what she loves to do. Same thing with my wife, Bonnie. She was an accountant as well, uh, but she didn't have to work hours beyond what she wanted to work. Because when you do things that you want to do, if you're a woman, uh, you're, you're making a hormone called uh, progesterone, which is very important for part of her menstrual cycle. And, and even at that time, from ovulation to her period, she needs to be making more progesterone than estrogen, but she still needs to be making estrogen. And on the other side of the cycle, from from her period to ovulation, that's where estrogen levels have to begin ascending. And in those five days before ovulation, that's when she feels and her body requires a higher level of estrogen for her to feel balanced. And that estrogen is feeling the need for support and if that needs for support is not there, then her stress level will be higher, even if her estrogen levels are going higher. So it's it's a little complicated, but simply put, practically, I try to, I give a little science and a practical thing. If yes. you want to go on a date, the best time is in the four or five days before ovulation. <laughs> That's what she needs it the most. <laughs> That's quite okay? simple, right? But then don't date any other days over those four or five days before you're ovulating. <laughs> That's the most important thing. And the thing about that is plan it a week in advance because, see, part of part of the growth of estrogen for women is anticipation mm. of special times. And so mm. if you're going to you know, have a, a date and most men don't realize this and they'll say to their wives on Friday night, <laughs> what do you want to do tonight? You know, it should be let's discuss what we're going to do next weekend. So it gives the discussion a chance to see what she would like. And again, when you understand the whole Mars Venus idea of gender differences based on hormones, you realize that a romantic date is primarily what she would like to do, not what he wants to do. It's a very important thing. Now, they can do things what he wants to do, but a romantic date is where she feels I can depend on someone to do everything for me. 
Yeah. That's your big estrogen producer. And for a man, testosterone goes up when he feels, oh, I'm successful in making you happier. Yes. Okay, look what I can do to make you happier. Yep. You know, some of my happiest moments in my marriage with Bonnie is when I brought her somewhere and she thought that was just fantastic. You know, we go to the Grand Canyon and she's loving the Grand Canyon and I'm taking credit for it. Yes, it's my Grand Canyon. You know, I take her to... What was it? Uh, but the fact great, that she didn't uh, have to plan anything and you, that's right. that, that is, I think that is such a gift that you can give your partner. Like you said, if you're, if you're in a male, female relationship, uh, or even if I, I, you know, you just want to be taken care of sometimes you don't want to have to do all yeah, the planning. You want to be taken care of sometimes. And, and some men say, I want to be taken care of sometime. And that's going to cause their estrogen levels to go really high and, and not necessarily what they need. But if a man is not stressed and he's very happy, he doesn't get irritable, he doesn't get passive, he doesn't procrastinate, he has high self-esteem, then he can go over to his female side and say, okay, you take care of me tonight. Usually that happens in the bedroom. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, You know, it's it's fun to do role reversal, conscious role reversal in the bedroom, because actually the hormones do shift when you're making love. Uh, For a woman, when her estrogen levels go really high because she feels he's taking time, he's honoring her, it's special, there's... There's a lot of uh, physical just touch uh, in the beginning, particularly non, not rushed. That produces the hormone oxytocin as the safety hormone. No pressure on her to perform or to have an orgasm or anything, just to be together and express love. That oxytocin then opens a door for her estrogen levels to double, which is necessary for her to have an uh, orgasm. Mm-hmm. And it, it, or to just fully enjoy herself, to feel the love increasing. I'm a real big fan of using sex, which can be so, so primitive and such a, uh, a low level thing like an animal uh, to bring consciousness into it and use the sexual pleasure to create love. Mm-hmm. The, that's when men can feel the most love is it's when women can open up the most too. Cause think about it. You've opened your mind, you've opened your heart. Now you feel like opening your body. <laughs> I mean, that's an open state and it, she has to be prepared and she has to feel safe and men have to respect her. And uh, for a man, he often doesn't have a woman's body. So he doesn't understand those necessities. I was talking to a woman the other day in one of my counseling sessions. And I told her, basically, sometimes you might need 20 to 30 minutes of a gentle, loving massage before you can open up. And because she could, she was a woman never experienced orgasm. And then she said, oh, that's all I needed. And I opened it up. It was amazing. It's like one little tip is, you know, her husband's, a, you know, a five to 10 minute guy, you know, in and out and we're done. And there's just no way she's going to be able to generate the hormonal levels for her to go to a, a, a higher state of feeling the love that they both felt when they fell in love. See, the thing is, when people fall in love, there's an extra hormone that doesn't last. And that's called dopamine. Uh, dopamine is produced from newness novel, challenge, uh, new skin, you know, basically that's an automatic thing. That's a primitive reaction inside of us that the dopamine levels will go up due to the newness automatic. And what that will do for men is raise testosterone so that they can feel a strong sexual attraction for her and will also raise estrogen in her so she can feel a strong sexual attraction to him, which is pretty much dependent upon him, his attention for a while building up her estrogen very high. And the biology shows that when when women's estrogen levels rise really high, then their testosterone levels will go up. So they go to their male side, but they're very grounded in their female. If you put that same woman in an office where she didn't even like the job, but she had to do it in order to make money, 
She's making testosterone there. She's on her male side, but she's not on her female side. If she's loving her job and enjoying serving people and so forth, then she's making estrogen and testosterone at the same time, which is really a beautiful thing. That's something that we can all find, uh, even if we don't have the perfect job, the perfect situation between a man and a woman having uh, making love, knowing how to do it and how much to do it. Yeah. So in the book, you do talk a lot about about stress. And we we all have stress in our lives, right? We can't really, you can't really avoid it in a lot of ways. But I'm wondering, what are ways that we can manage our stress and not so much manage it, but how can, as, as, as a partner, how can we help our partners with their stress? Because that, that does affect, like you said, our hormone levels. Well, let me give the mega, the, the meta view first. Uh, you have to sort of know the map and then I have practical techniques for everything. Yes. And if I just said the practical techniques, people would go, well, why does she get that? And he doesn't, <laughs> you know, yes. it, you really have to understand this is very gender specific insight that nobody teaches because it's almost not, polit- it's politically incorrect to talk about gender. Somehow I'm free to do it because I wrote the, wrote the book, Men Are From Mars, Women Are From Venus. And a lot of people love that book. Uh, so the, the big picture there is stress levels. We're all, we all have levels of stress. And that means the outer world we say is stressful because it's, it's how we react to the outer world that, that we call stress. It's a stress hormone. It's called adrenaline. And then when adrenaline is not short term, uh, then adrenaline stays in your body for a while, a few hours, then it will turn into cortisol and then cortisol will stay there for days. So it doesn't go away that quickly. Adrenaline does. That's why if you're a little stressed, you can go for a run. Uh, you can have a conversation, particularly when women are a little, little stressed. If they can talk about their emotions and feelings, that will convert their their uh, adrenaline back into dopamine. And that's an, a good balance. Mm-hmm. Men can actually use their physical body and go for a run uh, or do something constructive, go solve some problems, put forth some effort, toil for her, whatever it might be, that will uh, lower his stress levels. Just the anticipation of I'm doing something to uh, produce something productive with meaning will convert uh, adrenaline back into healthy dopamine, which motivates him. But once it's in the cortisol stage, that's where you'll see big hormonal differences between men and women. Uh, when a man's in a cortisol state, his testosterone is going lower and lower and his estrogen is going higher and higher. So translation, he'll feel grumpy or irritable or inflexible or very defensive or, or even aggressive. Most people associate aggression in men with high testosterone, but actually when a man has high testosterone, he's cool, calm, and collected and doesn't get angry at all. He's not afraid either. Uh, it's when his estrogen's too high that he gets defensive. And that can happen very quickly. You know, I could be cool, calm, and collected listening to my wife complain about something for three minutes. And suddenly I feel like this is unfair. <laughs> and I'm being uh, judged or criticized or not being appreciated. And just that, that thought in my mind will actually push estrogen up and push testosterone down. And that's where men become aggressive. They, they say their tone of voice changes. But the key there is whether you're a man or a woman, once you have cortisol, you don't access pure love. You can't feel your love. You might say, I'm mad at you because I love you. <laughs> but, but you did love them. But once you're mad at them, you're not loving <laughs> you're no them. Longer love them. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's what we have to realize is that we love our partners. But when we're doing some of these misbehaviors, like raising your voice. Anytime you raise your voice at your partner, you're in a stressed state. Uh, maybe not everybody, like you grew up in Italy, they tend to just sort of express love very loud. 
but at a certain point it escalates. It's very primitive to raise your voice to communicate. Uh, why? Because you're as soon as you raise your voice, you're telling the person you're not listening to me. And, you know, the person's listening to you and you're saying you're not listening to me. It's rather frustrating for that person. And if you're having sex with that person, meaning you're in a sexual relationship, you have you have more activated mirror cells. These mirror cells really cause us to duplicate whatever our partner's putting on us. So if he has a complaint about you, you'll have a complaint about him. And usually it does look, it looks, when, when we are under stress, men will tend to go into a detached emotional state at the early stages. And then it get, becomes very emotional at the higher levels of stress for men. Whereas for women, they have eight times more blood flow to the emotional part of the brain under little stress. But when it's a big stress and she feels I have no support, now she'll go straight over to the testosterone land. And because I have to defend myself, I have to protect myself, you become your own soldier. So that, so women greatly misinterpret when men sort of detach. Men will detach to mull it over and think about a problem. Maybe she, she's thinking, what are you thinking? What's going on? I want to know what you're feeling because he's pulling away. And that creates a panic for her quite often because when she's really upset, she'll pull away. Under moderate stress, she just has emotional reactions, little, you know, I'm frustrated about this or I'm angry about that, but it will quickly rise and fall. Men don't realize it will quickly rise and fall because when men get emotional, they have to solve the problem, make the emotions go away. They have to be right. They get all defensive, really out of balance. And this is all, literally, our our attitude and our thoughts affect our emotions. Our behaviors affect our, uh, I'm sorry to say, our, our, certainly our thoughts affect our emotions, but our uh, our thoughts, attitudes, behaviors, and and what relationship that what we're the relationship we're having in that moment will affect our hormone production. For example, just to be clear about that: when a woman comes into my office and she's having problems in a relationship, immediately her estrogen levels go up. Uh, if she was going to work to a job she didn't like or felt overwhelmed with, her estrogen levels are going down. So, see, that's a relationship. Yes, because so, she so she's in here. I just want to understand this. So. She's in your office and she is working to, um, she really, she's making an effort and conscious effort to work on her relationship, which something's very important to her. And she's like, okay, well, this is so her estrogen levels are high because she's working from this relationship. Well, her estrogen levels are, are not going high just because her est- because she's working to make a relationship. But that's, that's a small part of it, actually. She's going to someone she feels will help her yes. improve her relationship, as opposed to, I have to do it all myself. Yes. I'm going to go to somebody that I trust who's going to guide me and support me. And then, but she doesn't know. And one of the reasons I'm a famous relationship counselor is I never give advice to women unless I'm giving a talk. But if they come to me for counseling, first thing I'm going to do is get them to talk for at least 20 to 30 minutes. And so she feels heard. Just that I could send her out of my office and she would feel better and happy. But then I give him advice on how she can be accountable to solve the problem in a relationship and not just complain about it. Yes. Many, and I'll say this, many people go to therapists, many women, 90% of the people who go to therapists are women. Uh, they go often and the therapist is trained to just simply tell me more and what else and how do you feel about that? Where do you think that came from? And so basically, they're pretty much just complaining the whole time about their partner. (laughs) Yes, that's not good therapy. I've been through a lot of therapists where that's the situation. And that that doesn't help me. I don't need somebody to just be my sounding board. I need tools and strategies to fix things. (laughs) But the key, the key, exactly. But the key is to really let those tools come in, which is, you know, to be accountable. 
first, her stress levels need to come down to hear it. Otherwise, she'll just defend against the yes. tools. To be able to really let something in, you need to feel heard first, particularly for women and somewhat for men. But women, when they feel heard, so I know how to ask questions. And I'll say the husbands who are listening right now are men. <laughs> These are simple, simple questions. Now, I have more finesse as a therapist for 50 years, but... <laughs> But the questions are, and this is very important to every time you talk to your wife, just use these phrases. She won't get tired of them, which is, well, honey, tell me more about that and help me understand that better. And when it seems like she's done talking, you say, what else? Mm -hmm. Just listen, talk less and listen. And women ask less questions of him and share more from your side. You see, when a woman does so many women today, when they're on their male side, they don't even feel their need to talk about their feelings. Now, Back when I wrote Men Are From Mars, women were not as stressed and they were not as far on their male side. So they still felt I have I need to talk. And is my husband listening or not? That was the major thing of the 90s when I wrote that book is that men don't listen. Men don't listen. Now, women will say that, but it's not a major, major issue for them. And what it is, they don't even they don't realize that just getting help around the house. OK, mm -hmm. certainly that's wonderful. That's support. But it's not enough. What a woman, from my experience in helping women, is she needs to feel safe to find the part of her that's underneath of her, which is her feminine, vulnerable self, which is she's pushing away by being, uh, in a sense, compensating by not looking at my feelings, which could make me feel better. So the brain will go into why well, try to solve the problem. So she's busy trying to solve all the problems in the relationship in her life and get her husband to do this and get him to do that. And what's so amazing is, Men will do so much more for women when women are more feminine. Okay, that's that's what we need. If you look at if you look at statistics, if a man gets a divorce, he's married three years later, uh, and it has nothing to do with whether he uh, loved his wife. Sometimes women think, "What? What am I, cheap liver?" You know, <laughs> he just goes into another relationship. And women can go on average about nine years, and most of the time they don't get married again. A large number don't. Uh, and it's because women can find love in many, many places. They can love their children. They can love their pets. They can love their garden. They can love the planet. They can love their causes. They can feel love. And we all as a soul want to feel love. But for man, the primary place where we open our hearts to feel pure love is through a committed monogamous relationship, a mm. woman who loves us, who we adore, and you make love. And when you make love, it's what the word says. It's not just sex. We use sex to make love. You see, we men are, because we're more testosterone oriented, our ability to feel is limited when compared to a woman. Estrogen, women have on average 10 to 20 times more estrogen. That's a feeling hormone, allows you to feel what's going on inside. Men with their muscle mass, the testosterone is making the muscle mass, the more muscle mass they have, Generally speaking, unless their estrogen starts surging, they don't have a lot of access to their feelings. So in the newness of a relationship and the sexual attraction is there, it's pleasure. And through men, when they feel pleasure, it opens a door for them to get in touch with their emotions and their feelings. Mm. And then they can feel the love in their heart for their partner. And it's a woman, high estrogen, that opens a man up. So we know we need sex. We go for sex. We go for sex because... Sex, when a woman is welcoming it, opens our heart and opens her heart even more too. Yeah, so it's that's an access the point. It's an activity that allows you to open up. Yeah, it allows wow. men to feel the love. 
yep. uh, in their hearts. They can love. I don't want to say men are not loving. Men, men learn loving behaviors. There's even some authors who've written books called Love is Not a Feeling. It's a behavior. And, and certainly when you're feeling love, behaviors come out. And you can remember those behaviors, but actually feeling love is what you get to experience, particularly for a man making love. And it allows a woman to go to higher levels of making love than she could do on her own. <laughs> and, and the same thing for men, doing it on your own doesn't do anything except sap this soul energy of who you are. You'll see this, um, this challenge today, which is every... Every year, men's testosterone levels at all ages are going down 1%, 1%, 1%. This is not normal. This is the world we're living in now. With this, One of the reasons for it is our confusion about, well, it's the freedom to take, choose. Freedom is wonderful, but it gives us, <laughs> you have to look at the consequences of it. The grass women, is always greener or there's there's endless choices. Yes, yes, yes. You no. know, if I, I suddenly you have freedom, I was, uh, I just went on a cruise in the Mediterranean and I had freedom. Uh, to, I said to myself, okay, for seven days, I'm in the Mediterranean, I'm having gelato. Okay, so I gave myself the freedom. And I come home and I said, now you don't have that freedom, John, because that put on two yes. extra pounds on my belly. You know, that's yeah. a lot of weight on my belly. And that's okay. I said, I'll do it there. But then I have to look at the consequences of the choices I make because we're free. So with this greater freedom, we have women choosing to be independent. And that's wonderful. Except sometimes it keeps them from coming back to their female side. And the female side is the part of us. And I don't want people to misunderstand this. We all have two parts. One is our independent part and the other is our dependent part. Right now, I'm dependent on you to have this interview. You're dependent on me. Dependence is not a bad word, okay? So when a woman is depending on a man for love and the relationship ends, she can actually turn to her gardening, her children, her pets, and all these other things that she's dependent on to find that love. And that's good. Men generally depend on themselves primarily if he has self-esteem. Self-esteem for a man is he'd be able to feel more independent. Then his testosterone rises up and that creates a longing to come back to his female side. And that's what sex is. Sex is actually, he's going into her, but he has to be on his male side strong. He has to be hard in order to go into her soft land. So you have both together. You have hard and soft. You have masculine and feminine. And we all have these sides and it's easy for people to think, oh, you're saying I can't be independent as a woman. No, you can be independent, amazing. But if you're not finding love in your life or you're stressed a lot, many times or every time I found helping a woman come back to behaviors and conversations and attitudes that will generate more estrogen will very quickly lower her stress levels. And she's able to see the world through another set of glasses. Okay, it's really the glasses that we're wearing. Yeah. And ironically, I, I, I'm not in some idealistic, we should all be positive all the time. I, I think we should behave in a positive way to our best of our ability, forgive our mistakes and learn from them and grow from them. However, we have this prefrontal cortex in our brain and researchers have found that the, when blood flows primarily to the left side, you're optimistic. And when blood flows primarily to the right side, you're pessimistic. And we're supposed to do both things. We're supposed to be able to see the problems and then be optimistic about solving them. <laughs> see, we're supposed to see the emptiness and then we have the right side, this optimistic how we're going to fill the emptiness. That's the left and the right side. And when we're experiencing elevated cortisol levels, primarily we have a 10 time bias to go to looking at the problems mm. rather than being optimistic. Yeah. I, I think that makes perfect sense. You could 
when you're under stress, you're looking at all the negatives. You're like, oh boy, <laughs> you can't see, yeah. you cannot see that the forest for the trees there. So this, what, I did. What I, this does, go ahead. And there's so many wonderful stress reducing techniques. And all I'm doing is looking at it through the lens of the quality of our relationships. How are we responding in our relationships and what hormones are those producing? Because one of the most powerful factors to adjust our hormone production is are we more feminine in this relationship with my work, with my children, with, with my husband, what, you know, or am, I, or am I more masculine? And when nothing wrong with a woman being on her masculine side, as long as she can be aware, what are the signs I'm out of balance? And the most common one is I'm overwhelmed. And the second one is your mind is looping into complaints quietly. You think he didn't do this and you, he didn't do this. He didn't. When is he going to do this? And you know, this is, uh, it tends to, be the symptom of elevated cortisol levels. And you, and when you go to science, again, everything's not just black and white because another symptom of the same things we're talking about could also be low cortisol levels, which is called adrenal burnout. Okay, so you can, while you're still rather healthy, you're going to have high cortisol levels, but at a certain point of chronic, over many, many years of just being chronically stressed, then you get adrenal burnout. And that's the reason why women go through the difficult menopause time in their mm. life. Yeah, during menopause, doesn't have to have all these bad symptoms, sleeplessness, divorce, <laughs> anger, uh, you know, and other things when it comes to sex. And, and those problems are there because her body stops making estrogen when she starts going into menopause from her ovaries, but her adrenal gland will pick up speed. It won't make as much, but it'll make just what you need. But if you've been stressed out before that, now you have adrenal fatigue, your adrenal gland won't make enough estrogen and you'll tend to have hot flashes and depression and sex, you know, there's dryness and so forth, vaginal pain and so forth. All these things really can, can be how ready. Can a woman, how can a woman prevent that from happening then? Well, one of the best things, uh, you know, and I, I used to have a whole blogs. All I mean, I have a whole book on wellness, which is good herbs and all things for that. But there, there's practical techniques. Women can go online and look for Kegel exercises for the vagina. And that's in the place of, not having a husband who's doing it for you. Uh, if you have the right kind of regular sex, that will increase the, the, the whole lining of the vagina, which stimulates estrogen. There's nothing that stimulates estrogen more than making love. Okay, mm. that's it. And nothing mm. that stimulates testosterone more than making love. And the problem is people don't know how to make love today and they don't know how much time to spend making love. I'll just say briefly, and I have a class at marsvenus.com on sex. We get the basics. I've written this book, Mars, Venus in the Bedroom, which every couple should read. And it's not even R-rated. Yeah. Uh, it's really sweet. Just teaching men. Uh, we mentioned at the top of the show, but teaching men how much time women need and, and their experience and to get rid of goal-oriented sex and what men need. You know, that most people don't have conversations like this with their partner. They just do what nature tells you to do. And usually that's going to make you uh, a monkey. <laughs> and so here, here's, here's a simple thing that's not in this book, so I have to mention it because I couldn't say it in the book because I didn't have any research to back it up. But when couples have sex once a week, what will happen as opposed to twice a week is if you go for six days and you're a man without ejaculating, that means you had sex Saturday night, and then you have sex then again on uh, Saturday again. So you went seven day, six days, no masturbation, no ejaculation, no climax, but you wait on the seventh day, his testosterone will increase 50% the way it was when he fell in love. Mm. 
Every couple says to me, how do we bring back those feelings? I just say, are you having sex twice a week, three times a week? <laughs> oh, yes, we have great sex. I say, well, uh, it's going to go away soon. Uh, this is the research shows. If you just have sex twice a week or he masturbates on one of the other days, just if he releases an ejaculation, uh, he doesn't wait for about six days or seven days, something in that range. If he waits, then his testosterone levels will be 50% higher. Afterwards, it will go back down to baseline. But baseline over time will increase. Now I don't Start have imp- yeah. I, I don't have the actual now that that's scientific, that's been tested, that's everything. And we need to popularize that theory because or that study. Because if you go online and you look at does masturbation and porn lower your testosterone levels, they say there's no evidence. Well, that's because <laughs> we these kids who are now addicted to porn, 20 years ago, a 20-year-old had 20. 20% higher testosterone than a 20-year-old today. We are on a decline. Mm. Everybody's on a decline. And I mm. won't say it's only this, but we know that they can't even do studies at universities comparing men who've done porn who don't do porn <laughs> because everybody does porn. They're all masturbating. And now this with this whole new education system they're trying to throw in there, I've seen the clips of it. They're teaching children they should masturbate. And we shouldn't shame people for masturbating, but for thousands of years, People have known when you masturbate, you lose your, <laughs> you're missing out on mental growth, heart, heart growth, developmental stages. Uh, and, and we can see even in our sex life right there, if you just have ejaculation once a week, your testosterone will at least go up 50% when you're making love. That You need that extra bump to make it special instead of just routine. And yeah. over the long run, I'm 70 years old, practice this for 40 years. And my testosterone levels all the time are 50% higher than they were as a young man. So we don't have to be on a descending climb. Uh, There's things and, and you can do to increase over time. Is which you is, can do is just not be yeah. greedy. You know, ejaculation <laughs> is, an, is an addiction. It's an addiction. And here's what's interesting. If you, if you want to free of the addiction and you're not married, then just don't masturbate uh, and don't do porn. Because what if you make love to someone who loves you and you love them, the Italians did this study, which showed that for men, it produces prolactin and prolactin is a female hormone we know about for breastfeeding. But for a man, what prolactin does, its function is that it it lowers the need to ejaculate. Uh, Okay, so basically it decreases your desire to have sex until about six or seven days. <laughs> so so you're not, this is nature telling you, once you make a baby with a woman, you want to stay with her. It's the monogamy hormone. I'm completely mm. monogamous because, you know, this is what pure love is. When you're monogamous, you're building a bond that grows and grows and grows. Yeah. You know, I was married before I was married to Bonnie. Uh, for I was with a woman for four years. I tried to marry Bonnie, by the way. She wouldn't marry me when yeah. I was younger. <laughs> but she wasn't, I the timing was, wasn't right. I mean, yeah, the timing really wasn't right. But anyways, the other woman, nice woman, we had a marriage. And uh, and then at, at a certain point, she fell in love with another man, which was de- devastating for me. And uh, and we broke up. But what happened is we built a bond. And once she was having sex with another man, it rips that bond. That's why it's so painful when partners have affairs. And then it also causes craziness. When you feel all that pain, you don't know where it's coming from if it's secret. So I, I'm a big, big believer in teaching men, don't cheat, don't cheat. What you're going to have is she's going to be 
in fight or flight all the time. So her mind's going to go to 10 times more negative bias. And she doesn't know why she feels that way. So brain has to figure out why am I feeling threatened? And so it's looking behind every, every bush. Well, the kitchen's a mess or this is, he left his shoes on Mm. the floor. Her brain will just go looking for signs that he doesn't love me because it takes time to heal that bond. I mean, you can heal it. I'm also in the favor when somebody cheats, I bring them in the counseling. I say, you know, if you, was the relationship, did you, would it, would, it be, would it be going on now if you didn't cheat? And they say, yes. I say, okay, well, now we need to heal that. That's a wound that can be healed if you have the proper understanding. But when people just go, oh, my partner had a fear, I'm ending this relationship. Sometimes they're just using that as an excuse to leave a relationship that wasn't working anyway. And, and yet, once again, why not learn how to make that relationship work, particularly you have children? So there's a lot of options and choices that people don't have because they don't understand how to heal a wound, uh, particularly if you're just sitting there going, oh, because he did that, it means he doesn't love me. He never loved me. And that's not what it means. <laughs> it means he's irresponsible with sex energy. That's what it means. Mm. And you can overcome these things with good communication and knowledge and so forth and heal as opposed to staying in a marriage where it's not healed. I would never recommend that either. There's a- uh, Yeah, well, we've uh, got- Bonnie, Bonnie and I went to the Galapagos. I just finished the story and there was a funny t-shirt and, it, you know, the Galapagos Islands, the turtles live to 100 years old or some do. So this is old guy. And he says, honey, the affair was 92 years ago. Can you just let it go? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I like that. So we, need to, we need to be able to heal our hearts. And a lot of us just don't have the methodology to do that. And more and more knowledge is coming in. But I'll, I'll just lean against therapy again for a moment, uh, as opposed to uh, other terms of rational emotive therapy, for example. They at least know how to process emotions. As opposed to just let somebody talk, you know, mm-hmm. people just talk and talk and go nowhere. Uh, for me, I teach people whenever there's a wound, like say you're angry about something, feel the emotion and then go to another emotion, disappointment or sadness. And then always underneath that, feel the fear and the anxiousness and see where that comes from. It's never just about your partner. There's something in your past. And then eventually get to feeling responsible for how you contribute to the problem. Until you go through those four levels, then you practice getting in touch with what you're grateful for, what you're happy about and feel the love in your heart and feel proud of yourself. You know, we always have to balance the negative with the positive. It's like use the left part of the brain, then the right part of the brain. Uh, it's This is something I do on a daily basis. I look mm-hmm. for it just to, to activate, see if I can feel the negative emotions that are sort of tucked down inside of me then and bring them to awareness that awakens the positive emotions that those negative emotions were suppressing. So an example of this is when I got my big screen TV because the way I hooked it up, whenever I would fast forward it, it, the whole screen went black. And I did this. I just said, well, I guess that's the price you pay when you have a big screen TV, right? And so it was like real bothering me, but I learned to adjust and accept it. And then I rehooked up my equipment and it stopped doing that. That made me so happy. Yeah. <laughs> so, I mean, literally for months, I was just so happy fast forwarding and seeing it because a lot of our joy comes from the relief we feel when something bad goes away. All right. So that's a, it's like when you have a big problem and you find out, oh, it didn't happen or, oh, it got fixed. You feel so happy because all that negativity was just pushing down your happiness and now it comes up. And most of us don't realize that all day, all the time, we're we're focused on what's going on outside of us, whatever. And we don't just take a few minutes to focus on, there's always some frustration you're feeling in your life. And anytime there's frustration, there's disappointment. You can't be frustrated unless there was some expectation that didn't get met. And that can't be a problem unless it generates some, unless there's some concern or fear underneath it. 
And that's actually not really a problem unless you're feeling some regret or some, some embarrassment that I didn't do it right and I want to do it this way. So it's making an awareness of what's going on inside of you. And that's for me as a man, very helpful to be in this really positive state all the time. But for a woman, she could do it five to 10 times more to produce estrogen because what she's doing there, she's producing estrogen. Now I can produce that estrogen because I got such high testosterone. Most men, and this is a natural evolution that happens as we age. Naturally, women's estrogen levels uh, will tend to go down a bit and their testosterone will tend to go up. And for men, naturally, their estrogen levels will start to rise. But unless they feel confident and successful in their marriages, their testosterone will be really low. And then when they get in their 50s, 55, they'll have half the testosterone on average uh, of what he was when a young man. And he feels the need to retire. See, that need to retire that people feel, men feel, is basically their testosterone levels are very low. Often my friends at my age, none of them get erections. And, and, and you know, I say, hey, why don't you do this and enjoy sex? Oh, I've done it. I'm not there anymore. Why do I need that anymore? I go, yeah, if you don't have testosterone, that's your feeling. It's like, oh, I don't care. We don't have sex anymore. I remember on the, mm-hmm. the I was watching The View and one of the, one of the pretty girls there they were saying, she was saying, I have the perfect husband. And they said, tell us more. He says, oh, you know, I get up at three o'clock to come here in the morning, but I don't see my kids at all. But he takes care of them. He cleans the house. He makes dinner. He's like, he's like the perfect wife. And they all went, wow, you are so lucky. And what's your sex life like? And she laughed. She said, oh, we stopped having sex years ago. <laughs> but this, but this is something that is is probably all too common. Like you just said, John, you said you're like a lot of your friends that are your age, they're they're in these long, long marriages and they're not having sex anymore. It's just like, well, I mean, he may feel that way because like you said, he's may, he may have his testosterone levels have dropped and he doesn't have that. It's urge. always no men who say that they don't want sex. No, and anymore. So, so what? So they're living, they're, they're living too much in their feminine and they're not. Or yeah, they're, that, well, no, it's their sexual practice. Okay. They okay, were, you're going back to are, sexual practice. alpha men, okay? So they yes. were having lots of sex with their partners. And what happened is if you have more than sex once a week, what's happening I is understand. your body's not to sustain that 50% higher. And for women, their wives also are often not interested in sex at all either. And that's also explained by this simple concept of too much sex means that over time, his testosterone levels, they never make it to that 50% level that it used to be in the beginning. And so that 50% higher level says to her how much he loves her, his attention, his focus, his patience, his enjoyment, his tenderness, all of that comes from high testosterone. And so she responds to it by going to a higher level of estrogen. And then when, when he comes back the next time, and it's not nearly that much testosterone, then her body doesn't have the same response. But so women over time, they're just not getting the response. And there's a conditioned response as well, is that because men, when they have sex, they ejaculate and that causes their, it causes their tendency to withdraw. Okay, so she opens up fully, peak level of estrogen going up and that's bonding. And then he just pulls away. That's the guy turning away. And that's a little little reaction inside. And your body kind of goes, oh, I opened up and he closed down and he does it again. I opened up, he closed down. You get a conditioned response, which is why open up if he's going to close down. But if there's something called counter conditioning is if he opens up and if you open up and he closes, he pulls away, but he comes back with a lot to give, then you get counter conditioning. 
But if you start to look at things with, from a different perspective, like you said, which is counter can, counter conditions your your brain. That's so that right. You're not reacting from such a fear place. And count and conditioning. See, sex is completely ruled by the unconscious mind, mm. <laughs> and and so conditioning works. Is you know, even like having an argument or fight in your bedroom. Never have an argument and fight in your bedroom. That's a conditioning, which is in this room, I'm not safe. And for women, everything about sexual arousal and to be able to be multi-orgasmic and really enjoy more love during sex, as opposed to just, it all has to do with feeling safe and yes. no pressure and attentiveness. Kind of like uh, when I was on the cruise, you know, there were 50 people, 60 people and 150 crew members all taking, <laughs> watching us all the time, filling our drinks, doing this whole thing. And I just said, the women, the, you're going to have the best sex on this cruise because women feel supported. Somebody's making your bed every day. They're cleaning the floor. Everything is looks like a new hotel room. It, amazing attentiveness. And men can just understand this doesn't have to be a big deal. But for many men, doing anything after a while is a big deal because their testosterone levels are not boosting in her presence. You mm-hmm. see, it's, he also has a, if he, if every t- if he's ejaculating all the time, his testosterone is now no longer going to go up 50% in her presence. It will go up 50% if you're going on a cruise, you're going to a hotel, or you go to a concert, or you go to the, you know, you, you, you do something spectacular. You can't do something spectacular every week. Do something novel, and, like you said. Yeah, yeah, novel. And that's a good thing. That's a basic thing for therapists to teach people. But beyond that is just try learning how to not be addicted to sex. Don't be so greedy. There's other ways to show your love. Well, and, we've got, it, we have a few community questions, John, that I wanted to yep. make sure we covered. Yeah, we'll go to that. The, the first one is about... Um, what is the best way to support your partner when they're dealing with a lot of stress outside of your relationship and they're coming home and bringing that stress into, you know, obviously they're stressed. And so they're coming from work and you're like, okay, how can I help you? I know you've got a lot of stress here, but you're bringing it into a relationship, right? Absolutely. One of the biggest problems there is now the answer to that question, I have to know. Is it a man coming home with stress yes. or is it a woman I, I coming know the, home with stress? I know um, whoever submitted this question, it was a woman who submitted the question and she's talking about her male partner. It, the, the first thing, and, and I, I'm assuming she hasn't read the basic. In Minute from Mars, I have a wonderful in-depth exploration of men and their cave. If a man is stressed, you need to ignore him. No, put no pressures on him at all. You simply say to him, honey, I know you're stressed. Do what you need to do. But first, give me a big hug and remind me that you love me. I know you, you you think I should know, but I like to hear it. Just like we like to have sex. It feels good. It feels good to me just to hear you love me. So I want you to find me first. Give me a big hug. And then don't you don't have to talk to me. Nothing. Ignore me. Go do what you need to do. Maybe 30 minutes later, hour later, depending on the stress level, I'll ask for a little help and you can help me with something. He might say, oh, what is it you need help with? You say, oh, I'll let you know then. <laughs> mm, this is good. Yeah. It's, in a sense, the man, and by the way, when he, when he, when you're ready to, when he seems to be going to the bathroom, he's been in there 30 minutes to an hour. Then you just say, oh, honey, when you get a chance, I need your help. And he'll say, well, what is it? Well, when you have time and then never press him at that time, but you sort of bait him. He's going to think, okay, what is it? What is it? I can do it now. You say, oh, good. It only take 10 minutes. He'll say, okay. So he's committed the time to it. Then you basically say, I just had a difficult day today and I want to share my emotions. Just talk about my day. And you don't, I prefer you do nothing. Just look at me and ask the question, help me understand that better. Tell me more. That's all I need you to do. Or just look at me and say nothing. Don't fix me or anything. Cause really I feel great, but I just want to 
there's things going on inside of me. I want to vent them for a few minutes. And it's not about you. It's about kids or it's about work or whatever. And that's very easy for him to listen. Because what will happen is, and and he'll interrupt you many times to, to fix it. You know, he's, oh, don't worry about this. Or that's not a big deal. Or why do you have to talk about that? You basically tell everything up front. I don't need you to say anything. I just need to share what's going on in my day. And he, he might go, why? If he hasn't read my book, I explain all this. But then why? You could say, you know, I've been away from you all day. and I just like to feel more connected to you by letting you know what I'm going through. If you want to talk, you can. But actually, I just need to share this with you. What you're doing there is helping him come back to his female side, the part of him that loves you after he's taken time alone. When a man takes time alone, that is the best stress reducer for him, as opposed to feeling he's in trouble for spending time alone or you need him to do something for you because he's you know, haven't seen him all day. Are you complaining? We're not, we never talk anymore. You know, this is all your stuff comes up because you're expecting him to be like a girlfriend coming home and talking about the relationship and whatever. And that's not what he's about. He's about rebuilding his testosterone. So if you kind of think back to the ancients, what they would do to teach men to meditate, to forget their problems. And that's what men typically do when you start talking. He says, oh, just forget it. Don't worry about it. Don't make a big, <laughs> but that's what he needs to do for himself. You don't have to tell him to do that. But today there's another challenge, which could be the case with this man who's coming home from a lot of stress. He could be more on his female side because there's a lot of push to get men on their female side today. And she may be contributing to that because he comes home and he goes to his cave and she says, what happened today? And what are you feeling? And let's talk about it. That's one thing. And that's a mistake. Or the other mistake is he comes home, he starts talking about all the things that are bothering him. So what she has to do is out female him. Okay. <laughs> so he's on his female side coming home. You have to out female him and just not put a lot of, t- don't ask any questions. Don't show a lot of interest. Basically when he said, and, and never say to him, how did you feel? None of this therapy bullshit for yeah. men. <laughs> Excuse the language, but basically not, how did you feel? Not try to be empathetic, actually be a little detached. Don't give energy to it. It's like my new little puppy. When she jumps up, I just turn around. Every time I turn around, she will just sit. This is a, you know, for her second day of having her. She learned to sit right away because if I'm pushing her down, I'm giving attention to what she's doing as opposed to just turn away and she'll immediately sit and wait for me to turn back. It's amazing. Giving attention to a whiny husband will just make him more whiny. Mm. So that could be the case. There's sometimes the man who's in his cave, he's just he needs to be there, but he doesn't come out. All right. <laughs> and then that's why you have to ask for help. That will pull him out. And that gives you a chance to say, oh, I feel so much better because I need to just talk about my day. Yeah. A structured way to talk about the day I reviewed before, but explore what you were frustrated about. Today, I was so frustrated. You know, I had to fix the copy machine and blah, blah, blah. And I was disappointed because I thought I was going to get this and somebody else got it. It was a bummer. And I was concerned. I was coming home. I was late. I wondered, oh, if I got the carrots, did I get the mashed potatoes? I'm making dinner. What am I going to do? Just go through the emotions of frustration, disappointment, concern, and, and and I was so embarrassed. If you can use that one, it's amazing. Blood goes right to your front brain. Uh, that's why people turn red. These are suppressed emotions. And normally, you just go, why would he want to listen to that? He doesn't. But what he does want is to make you happy. So you just say 10 minutes. Any man can do 10 minutes. Share, talk a little bit about what's going on in your day. And didn't just say, now, you don't have to say anything. But often men will particularly when they're stressed, they'll be immediately bored and they can't focus. That's why I tell you to use the phrases, I was um, I got frustrated. They can connect with that. If you start telling stories, they can't connect with that. It's not high stimulation enough for them when they're stressed. So use emotion. Oh, I was so frustrated. And why was I frustrated? 
And then he might say in the beginning, oh, you shouldn't be frustrated about that. You say, no, I'm not really. I just want to express my feelings and I'll feel so much better. I got to get in touch with what I feel. I want to feel alive. You know, teach him a little bit about this and teaching yourself how to do it. So you do that for a few minutes. And then you also say, and what I'm grateful for and what I'm happy about and what I love. And I love you for listening to me. I'm so lucky I can come home and talk to you. And I'm proud of myself because I did this and this and this. So he gets to watch you go from negative emotion to positive emotion without any interference from him. This trains him to stop trying to change you from negative to positive and see that you can do it yourself. Love that. One more and don't question. Feel guilty. Don't no. feel guilty that if he's whining and complaining, don't feel guilty by not feeding it. You're feeding a bad habit. And he will, by out-femaling him, <laughs> by, by sharing your feelings and he listens, that actually will lower his stress. Whenever a man is supportive of a woman, his stress levels first will, will go down. His testosterone will go up. But first he needs to rebuild his testosterone for it to go up. <laughs> so yeah. it's a sort of an empty tank. And that's what he does in his cave is non-personal activities. Yeah. So I, um, you, I mean, in the beginning of our conversation, you shared about um, your loss of your wife, Bonnie, of so many years. And my, my condolences. And I'm also so happy that you opened your heart and you're in love again. We have a community question um, from somebody that's saying she's a woman in her 60s that lost her husband, who she loved dearly. She would like to know how she can love again. That was a simple question. How do I love again? What's your best advice for her on how to start? Wow. Kind of maybe that's the book title. How to love again. Yeah. I had a book title. It was how to say goodbye. That was my first thought. Well, really? I know in your book, you do talk about grieving and the, and the ways you do that. But I have to say, I, I love what you've shared, John, about, I've heard you say this before about how after your grieving process, you really felt like your heart grew, like your, oh, heart, yes. your heart is bigger. And I just thought that is so beautiful. So I just, I just want to hear you answer the question about how do you love again? Okay. Well, well I just want to amplify what you just said first which is I tell my partner, you are so lucky. You're getting a transformed man. Yeah. <laughs> you see, oh. nothing makes you dig deeper into your feelings than loss. Yes. Uh, it just, because it, it forces you to feel these emotions that we typically don't ever look at. The, the feeling, the fear of abandonment, the fear of being alone, the fear of being judged, the, the dis- disappointment, the sadness. You know, my whole life was, we're going to live a long, healthy life together. I love her, we have family. My life is perfect. And then crash, cancer came. So it was, it was devastating. And so that's a disappointment. So it's deep sadness, feeling the pain of sadness. And even, even the, the pain, the, sometimes it's hard to say, I feel hurt. Because usually people associate hurt with blame. And nobody to blame here. <laughs> but you can feel pain. So then you're not blaming somebody. It's just, it's so, it's, I just would feel so much pain. And then to explore my deep level of fear, like, what am I afraid of? For me, it was the fear the pain will never go away and I'll never be happy again because that's what you feel. So you go through these emotions. You have to go through waves of them and give yourself permission on the other side of the wave to experience happiness and then come back to the wave. But one of the challenges, if, you know, imagine a week after my partner died and somebody says, how are you feeling? Well, I feel great today. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> because I just cried for 20 minutes or something, you know, you can't say that. Uh, I have a group that I take vacations with. And before we, at the beginning of the vacation, I said, let's all get together. I want to share the death in like a funeral with my friends. 
another another one and they described the whole process of her dying and they could see how how much in pain I was and so forth. And then I had permission to have fun with them as well because we have the left and the right parts of the brain and people who don't get over grief, you put them in an MRI, they're addicted to grieving. Okay, you have to always go to the negative and then give yourself permission to go to the positive. But it's hard to give yourself permission to go to the positive because now look at the way the brain looks at it. It says, I'm in pain because I love her so much. If I didn't, you know, I see, I see on the news somebody loves, dies. I don't feel the same pain, right? I feel pain because I love her so much. I cherish her. She's the most important person in my life. And now she's gone. Okay, that's the pain. So I feel pain because I love her. So then my brain will go, well, then you can't be happy. If you're happy and you don't feel pain, that must mean you didn't love her that much. Do you see how that, yes. that gets, gets in mind, the way? Your mind, no, your mind just plays tricks on you. Right. It's just, it's human nature yep. to not give yourself permission. Because if I go out and I say, oh, I'm happy, I'm in love and everything. Well, how could you love someone? You you lost your wife. I go, actually, I can love more because I lost my wife because I felt that deep pain inside yes. and process those feelings. And it didn't happen overnight. It was, and everybody has different waves of their attachment. And the one other thing that's really important for people to understand about the loss of a loved one, it's. Freud explained this. He didn't have the practical tools, but he explained it. He called it a need integrate. The way the emotional brain works is I need love. Bonnie gives me love. Then suddenly I no longer need love. I need Bonnie. The brain attaches itself to the source of that love. And so if she dies, then you're literally like a child going, I'm abandoned and I have no love. I can't get love. I'll never get love again. See, for me, it was more, I'll, I'll never feel happy again. I'll be so sad all the time. Even though intellectually, I knew, <laughs> I knew this is the process you go through because I my dad was found dead in the trunk of his car. I had to grieve that on my honeymoon with Bonnie. Uh, somebody robbed him. Uh, another one was, you know, my mother died by mistake. You know, the, that was a problem. Didn't have to have happened. My brother committed suicide. So I'd been through a lot of grieving. Uh, also, my first marriage, she fell in love with another man. That was really traumatic. But uh, you know, I became a professional, but losing a loved one was the biggest on my list of all those. And even though I was so good at it, it still was painful. It's a hard time. But with, with learning how to talk about your feelings, articulate your feelings, sharing your feelings, and your friends will get tired of you So doing that. So you need to talk to a therapist. Generally, they won't get tired. And you have to go over it again and again and again. Cry, cry, cry and be happy. Cry and be happy. Cry and be happy. You know, I love, you happiness- know what? I really appreciate what you're saying right now, John, about this is a practice. Yes, you can. You, you have to go through those motions of, pa- of pain, deep, deep, deep sorrow, and then go back to the happy. Find the joy. And oh, it's like a wave. I really, like, that is just beautiful and, because you have to have that balance. And, it, and, and there's, yeah. Another thing is this, what, there's an old saying, when you fall off the horse, you put the child back on the horse right away. Don't get caught in not being in a relationship again. Just don't feel pressure that it has to be the relationship or a perfect yes. relationship. Yeah. And since it's a woman, let a man enjoy doing things for you. And even when you're not ready to have sex again or whatever, that's fine. Just let him know. It's, you know, hey, I'm recovering from a, a loss, but I know many marriages have started from one person losing a spouse, another one losing a spouse, and they come together. They often have an empathy and an openness to saying, yes, I know you still love that person and I'm open to receiving love with you. But to remember, to heal the heart, it's getting the love in that will heal the the wound. 
It's literally a tear. It's a physical tear. And what happens is not just psychological. It's an emotional tear inside of you. You just can't see the big bruises. And those, the way those get healed is with time, along with the need for love, you have to now reach out and start getting love and start getting love. And then your brain starts to go, oh, I can get love. And I'm not just dependent on my partner to get that love. And that's very important that you reach out to get love. Starts in support groups. A lot of churches and different people have great support groups for this. But really, you got to be in a group where people can go from positive, from negative to yes, seeing to the, the positive, good, to the negative joy. to seeing the good. Finding the and, joy. Wow. Yeah. I'll tell you what, John, this, this conversation was pure joy. And I am so, so glad that you joined us today. I learned so much and I always do through your books and from listening from you. And I'm like, when I hang up and we are, are done editing this podcast, I have to listen to it over and over again to integrate all this. It's a lot to understand, but your book does give a lot of tools like and, and simple tools, right? Oh, yes. Over so, and over. The concept is there. And then you have practical tools that are logical if you have the bigger picture. Yeah. Well, thank you, John. And I, um, I just, I'm giving you a big virtual hug okay, <laughs> and hug. we'll see you. We'll see you um, on the IG live next. Thank you. <laughs> thank you for thank joining you. us. Please visit realloveready.com to become a member of our community. Submit your relationship questions for our podcast experts at reallovereadypodcast at gmail.com. We read everything you send. Be sure to rate and review this podcast. Your feedback helps us get you the relationship advice and guidance you need. The Real Love Ready podcast is recorded and edited by Maya Anstey. Transcriptions by otter.ai and edited by Maya Anstey. We at Real Love Ready acknowledge and express gratitude for the Coast Salish people, the stewards of the land on which we work and play, and encourage everyone listening to take a moment to acknowledge and express gratitude for those that have stewarded and continue to steward the land that you live on as well.